Okay. John, are you uh, recording? Yes. Okay. Hello, welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, French New Wave podcast. This is uh, one of the final episodes, and the last time John Armenia will be on Shoot the Piano Player. And, uh, this is, uh, oh yeah, Charlie, you're here too, right? Yeah, yes, I'm listening to a rather jolly rendition of, uh, actually, the, I don't know what that song is. <laughs> that's the, uh, electric water heater we got from Mary's sister. Oh, that's cool. As long as, well, the, the rule was, they're, they're going to move back to Spain at mm. some point, and they take it with them. Yeah. But uh, we get, but we get get it as long as they're living in in, in D.C., doing some boring government stuff. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think we know who the winner in that transaction is. The uh, listeners. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know it's Mary's uh, sister and her husband because they have uh, two small children, and that's always fun. Are you being facetious? Uh, a mix of both because I've spent uh, I went on vacation with them before with the with with the kids on the way and yeah. it's equally fun and irritating. That's that's uh, yeah. John, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm I'm doing good, but yeah, uh, it's it's more fun certainly being an uncle than being a parent. Oh yeah, you don't have to do all that. Disciplinary work. You just get them for an hour, and then they love you, and then that's it. Yeah, uh, aren't you your niece's favorite person or something? Oh yeah, yes, yeah. No, uh, well, behind my parents. Oh, okay. her, her, her grandparents, grandma, and grandpa are, are number one for sure. And and your brother and uh, wife aren't. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> We can get into Armenia family reasons why, but that's a less <laughs> exciting. <laughs> it's less exciting than Sergio Leone movies. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's for uh, for a few dollars more, which is the first uh, spaghetti western that I've seen where it's like, okay, I think I can get into these. And uh, I, I put right before recording, I said I've watched it three, three times since the first recording, and it's just so easy, so much fun. Uh, yeah, it's it? it's like a real masterpiece, I have to say. And and I do think spaghetti westerns are sort of an acquired taste. Like you can't just jump in with like. Lucio Fulci's For the Apocalypse, you, you sort of have to, like, get a taste for it via someone like Sergio Leone and, like, get used to the tropes and warm up to, to some of the, the trashier uh, entries into the genre. Like, there's definitely a lot there if you're willing to, to dive in, but sometimes, you know, you, you need a, a much more assured filmmaker like Leone to, to ease you in. I never. The, uh, my first westerns were spaghetti westerns for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think there were a couple like high end things that may be considered westerns, like Dances with Wolves or, um, I don't know, 
I can't think of any more off the top of my head. But that's that's like the only other thing I saw before I started watching, you know, The Good, Bad, The Ugly, and other Sergio Leone movies and some... Oh, I, well, I can't think of those Italian names. They're well, wonderful, but I can't remember them. There's only like five Sergio Leone movies. He didn't... He wasn't very productive in his life. Yeah, there's... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, there's the, the three men with no names. There's... Um, Ducky Sucker, and then Once Upon a Time in America, and Once Upon a Time in the West. Because yeah, um, the, those last three they were very frustrating for him personally and professionally. I like What's But Once Upon a Time in the West a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Once I get more free time, I'll probably devote more time to Leone, but. As of now, it's like I get one, I get one day to, one day off, full full day off, and I like to just, uh, like 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 a three hour movie for me on the on those days. It's like I can't do that. I have to cram in as much fun stuff as I can. Yeah. Yeah, like um, me, Bradley, Dan, and Heather Drain are prepping for a 1932 in horror podcast. And all these movies are like 65 minutes long. And it's like, oh, what a joy. I could cram in three movies in a day. This is great. Yeah, I was going through the 30s and 40s race movies mm-hmm. for a piece um, doing from Grandpire that uh, I, did, I, I pitched a year and a half ago that's still not done because I kind of take long breaks in between yeah. working on it. But uh, but those old race movies are like the the longest one I've seen is like eighty minutes and it's like oh this is perfect they're all on YouTube they're yeah. all like an hour long. But with that said, I still really love this two hour fifteen minute movie for sure. Oh yeah, but um, I think my first western. Probably would have been like some random John Wayne thing that my grandpa would have been watching the West Virginia side, not the New York side. Mm-hmm. My New York side, I don't think they, my, my, my mom's dad, I don't think would care about Westerns. But um, mm-hmm. my dad's dad loves Westerns. He calls them shoot 'em ups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one, Joel, I told you on our other show that we do on occasion. The one that hates Jerry Lewis and silly comedy in general. Oh yeah, you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He loves westerns, uh, football, and think, and that's like the only TV he watches. I think is this westerns and football and nothing else. But um, oh, actually, there's a this I have a that's a funny story about him. He has dementia, but uh, uh, this story starts sad. But it, it's funny. Uh, my aunt and her, one of her kids, one of my her, uh, one of my cousins, were going to visit him at where at the home where he is now, and he was crying in his room. And they approached him, asked him, "Well, what's wrong? Uh, are you okay?" And he and he was saying, "They won't let me smoke in here." <laughs> and my aunt says, uh, "You quit smoking uh, twenty five years ago." And he says, yeah, I know, but I can't smoke in here. 
I thought it's that. against his freedoms. Yeah, I know. Let the let the ninety two let the ninety year old man smoke if he wants to smoke. But he probably yep. forgot right after he said that. No, I probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think so. My first question, probably some random thing. He, my grandpa was watching, and my dad loves uh, Clint Eastwood in anything and everything. It doesn't matter how good or bad it is. My dad, my dad even likes American Sniper, uh, which I, I I don't like. I I've never gone to the discussion with him about why a movie uh, is bad. But yeah, but he, but he enjoys it because it's uh, Clint Eastwood and he just likes Clint Eastwood stuff. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan. I I typically do like his. Uh, directorial efforts i really like him as an actor especially in westerns um and you know i i and i think people have sort of an an image of what clint eastwood is on screen and i think that is a little limiting because even in this one there's uh several moments in here where he's very funny like there's times where he's dryly humorous, but other times where he's just kind of like mugging from the camera at the idiocy of other characters, and it's a joy to watch. Yeah, he makes the like stoic, uh, badass thing very, like not human, but it's like he makes it fun. Yeah, where, like I, I like Bronson, but Bronson, I I won't say like would give a fun performance. He gives a Bronson performance. Yeah, I think there's degrees. Even in Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name, there's more degrees to him than than Bronson gives. Yeah. Uh, J Dog opinions. I won't stand here and take any of the. No, wait, what? <laughs> I don't uh, have anything other to add there. He does play it cool. And like, I mean, the, the cockiness of that he brings in that character of like coming off as knowing being ahead of everyone in the game and <clears throat> being good at basically everything he needs to be shooting and horsing and apparently pretending to be another person so he can join a gang. I don't know. But Bronson. I, like we were talking about Once Upon a Time in the West, Bronson as harmonica, I think he is able to make that his character in that one interesting. And it, it all comes down to, like, how much does he care about the role, I feel like, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, when you get to Death Wish 2, Bronson doesn't care anymore. But, like, before the 80s, he actually did put in an effort. Yeah, like he's Good. he's fantastic in hard times. I think a performance like that, it's kind of what's required. You know, be shirtless and scary as hell. <laughs> yeah, even Rider in the Rain, which is a weird movie that doesn't mm -hmm. work. Uh, I, I, it's come up before, but I, I need to bring up this point. The um, Thunderbird told me about it. There's a, uh, uh, it's like a detective movie or something. I forgot the details, but Bronson is trying to find a rapist, and the rapist is named um, MacGuffin <laughs> to show how tasteful that movie is. Wow. Get it? Um. 
It's a showstopper. Yeah, it's uh, the movie is again. It doesn't work, but it is interesting to see Bronson in a French crime movie. Sort of. I don't know. It it's it's for. I think it's not talked about for a reason. There are better movies yeah. to talk about instead of that. Like for a few dollars more. Um, yeah. So you, you know what's interesting about even going into this movie, um, yeah, it was such a huge uh, fistful of dollars was such a huge success that there was an immediate push for a sequel. But there was a dispute between Leone and the producer, so he split with them and did this anyway. And the producers of uh, Fistful sued him, like you can't take this character that we did and make another movie. And it was actually determined in an Italian court that, uh, it's canonically not the same character, Clint Eastwood. Um, because he's such like a vague abstraction of Western iconography that you can't copyright what he was in, in fistful of dollars. So that's why Leone was able to, to, to get away with making a sequel, not legally attached to the first one. Hmm. Yeah, uh, what is it? I can't, I'm not sure when it happened, but we, we discussed it on the first try. That um, Kurosawa, when he saw Fistful, he was like, I think this is my movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and he sent Leone a letter, and Leone was so overjoyed, he got a letter from Akira Kurosawa. But the letter was saying, like, you owe me money. Cease and desist. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> But also, if I was him, I would I would be overjoyed and tell people like I got a Kurosawa sent me a personal letter. <laughs> yeah, that is real real fun, you know. That even back in the fifties and sixties, the whole world was like, "This Kurosawa guy is like the best, isn't he?" Yeah, let's steal his movies. Who's gonna know? Not Kurosawa. It's not you know. What are the chances? They they don't ha- they don't watch movies in Japan, right? Right. Yeah, not not the guy who clearly loves American westerns. He's not <laughs> gonna watch this movie. <laughs> but I I do think like in a lot of ways, uh, for a few dollars more, it's freed up not not only because of the, the scale is bigger, but it's free of sort of the shackles of being a remake. And I mean, I love Fistful. But this one is just much more of its own animal, and like it's not in the shadow of you know a masterful samurai movie, and so it's just it's easier to enjoy in its own merits. I think it could it could really be just like a spaghetti western, like just another one in the the realm with Django and all those other ones, mm-hmm. like style, but not really much to remember about it but the having Clint Eastwood and and Lee Van Cleef made it yeah something way more special like their yeah charisma as actors makes a huge difference in the especially in the performances I, I love seeing Lee Marvin doing anything that's like relatively jokey uh, and you know he has fun with uh, the character who is not Blondie or the man with no name in this one. You mean Lee Van Cleef? Yeah. yeah. Like he doesn't he doesn't really joke around that much. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so I, I think that is another unique thing about this movie that I think sort of in cultural consciousness uh, we sort of forget is the, like, real affection between Mortimer and Monco. Y- you know, it's... Because there's, there's no women in this movie, um, except for, like... Like the the innkeeper's wife and yep. and the, the flashback who's of Mortimer's sister being killed, um, so you know, uh, Monco certainly has no romantic interests, and Mortimer is getting revenge for the death of his sister, not his wife or or lover. So the most intimate relationship in this movie is between Lee Van uh, Lee Van Cleef and and Clint Eastwood's character, and there's certainly nothing like romantic between them. But there's definitely, like, a deep connection and understanding. And, you know, they first see each other through their, through each other's bedroom windows. Um, <laughs> they sort of, like, have a... About changing. Yeah, yeah. like, like when, they, when they, they had that standoff in the, in the middle of the street where they're, like, displaying their pistol prowesses to each other and, like, sort of a, <laughs> like a male mating display or something. So there's, like... Yep. Something going on. I'm not saying. I'm certainly not saying it's like homoerotic, but there's something going on between these two guys um, that's very warm and a lot of fun to watch. It's the um, it's like because of lack of women, like the romantic energy has to go somewhere. Yeah. And so of course, so like it, it naturally goes to the two most charismatic people, because certainly won't be um, Indio. Because India is a little too unhinged and psychotic. Yeah. And there's, like, no one else who's really that strongly defined. Like, oh, that innkeeper. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, saw, or, that, saw that birdie landed. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the little kid. But little kid. Uh, uh, I forgot where we're going with that. The, um... Uh, what's that 80s movie? Back to the Future. No, the Indiana Jones one with the kid. Temple of Doom. Oh, Short Round. Yeah. yeah the guy yeah. from Everything, Everywhere, All Once, was that him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same yes. actor. Yeah. Okay. Grown Short Round. Yeah. 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 Like, short, short up, grown round. Uh, but I, uh, I lost my train of thought there. I I I so I didn't take notes for on this the first time, so uh, I'm kind of going off of the memory of watching this uh, from a week ago. But also, it's very easy to remember. Yeah, I didn't rewatch it, yeah. so but I have a pretty clear memory of what happened. There were some guns, right? Uh, one or two, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mortimer has a whole like a uh, gun rack that he travels with on his horse. All sorts of specialized armaments for different dirt bags he has to kill throughout the course of the movie. And like the the intro of Mortimer is uh, just so much fun. Yeah, because he he's dressed in he all dressed in all black, reading the Bible, and so it's like the, you know two conflicting uh, things of like he he you think he's a bad guy because like it's it's Lee Van Cleef, so there's something about him just. His presence is like I don't trust him, and I, and I don't know why. Yeah, and then I think for Italian audiences in the '60s, 
they're definitely primed to see people prominently displaying praying or Bibles as somebody who's pretending to be a priest. So for an Italian audience, they see that and like, oh, this guy's a dirtbag pretending to be somebody of faith to try and like get one over on somebody. And so the fact that it's it's not that is it's like a, a misdirect of a misdirect. So, you know, Leone's already like two steps ahead of us in the opening frames of the movie. Yeah, like this just feels like it's such a it's like I feel like a pastiche. It is a pastiche of just like uh, of uh, Hollywood, Hollywood, Western, Hollywood Westerns, except uh, taken uh, this like amplified and like it's taken to like uh, like everything is just exaggerated and ridiculous in a way like a Hollywood Western like before this point because I can't think of many that were like over the, that over the top. Besides, like, Johnny Guitar is, but Johnny Guitar isn't very, like, mythical and fantastical the way that, like, Leone yeah. can make things feel. Yeah, I would say um, definitely Veracruz is, like, the urtext for a lot of spaghetti westerns. It, like, it feels like it came out a year before. Fistful of Dollars, but it really came out in the early 50s, so it's very much out of time. Um, but that's the only real stylistic antecedent as far as Hollywood westerns go. E- even though there is a lot of like uh, genre formalism uh, that spaghetti westerns are imitating, just, you know, like the 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 shootout, the uh, taciturn cowboy, like that that kind of stuff, but... It's definitely filtered through like Italian genre filmmaking. Every time I've watched this, my 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 first thought every time is, I want there to be more Klaus Kinski. There's not enough of him, and like he he looks goofy and he looks goofy and ridiculous in this. But it's something about uh, it's like his presence in here just adds that wild card. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, but that's just that's kind of like a byproduct of like seeing him in other stuff and knowing what he was like to deal with, and seeing him here's like oh well this is gonna he's gonna be crazy he's like oh actually he isn't he's just kind of there. I mean he is. He's he's in a lot of the movie in my opinion. Like he doesn't have a lot to do, but you know he's constantly being slapped around by these two guys it feels like almost right he's the one who's really got something knit to pick pick a knit nick pick he's gonna nitpick anyways if, yeah i do wonder though like if he was in the movie more how much his energy would have collided with clint eastwood's energy because he's very much like no man let's make this movie making experience as easy as possible Two takes and we're done, right? And then Klaus Kinsey is going to have a fucking temper tantrum every second for any reason. Mm-hmm. And even um, with John Maria Volante, who's, you know, obviously brilliant, um, he was too big. So Leone would constantly just tell him to retake and retake and retake until he was exhausted. And so that's why he sort of has these, like, discombobulated performance that he has where he... He seems kind of tired, because he was, and um, he he did his best to never do a western again. 
I think after this he did uh, Bullet for the General with Klaus Kinski. That's um, a Damiano Damiani movie, uh, extremely political. Uh, but that I think was the last Western Volante did. Yeah. Well, they would have gotten along. They are both exaggerated uh, uh, personas. Yeah. Or they might have hated hated each other's guts because of that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I imagine spending time with both of them would have been exhausting, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, like. Uh, doesn't matter. But uh, yeah. So uh, J Dog, what do you like about this movie? I like horses, and I like uh, desert, and, well, I like the same thing I like about most of these westerns that way. Like, I'm going to say like, like, like again. Can you tell I'm a millennial? Um, The way there are no black hats, right? There's, I mean, there are black hats, but there's no white hats. Everybody's gray for the most part. What, the one thing they didn't do is I feel like sometimes they try to give you, you know, empathy for the main bad guy of this and they didn't really do anything like that like the guy is off kilter and he's doing he does weird things throughout the movie yeah and finally at the end we realize it was because of what the situation ended like which is I don't know I don't know if that would make me crazy I'm just saying what? Ladies, I mean, no. Wait. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely think he was crazy before that incident, right? Or you know, he was at the very least a rapist and a murderer, right? But I, I think the movie does give you a good job of helping us maybe understand his psychosis without asking us to sympathize with him, because after he's first broken out of prison by his gang, he goes to get revenge for his imprisonment on the the guy who who caught him, and. You know, he he brings this, like, uh, music box, like, locket. And, you know, that's indicative of, you know, his his capture. And that, that's sort of this thing he's been obsessed with and mulling over for his entire incarceration. And he, um, you know, says, all right, when the song's done, we'll draw. And that's how he, like, kills. And, you know, of course, first he kills uh, the guy's wife and child um, and so for, for this shootout to revolve around this symbol of his own incarceration you sort of get away into his psychology of like alright this guy is an obsessed psychopath and he has this very kind of twisted moral code and we hate him but we are also able to like see the world through his like you know funhouse mirror glasses and and I think that that's so. It's such a pivotal scene uh, to sort of get why we want this guy to die, without seeing him as like a one dimensional villain. Uh, like the uh, his gang is fairly undefined mm-hmm. overall, besides Klaus Kinski and um, maybe two other guys. Yeah, and like also all those scenes. Like you get a bunch of scenes of them at their, at their hideout, and it just feels like, like a genre 
Sean Maria is putting on like a one man show, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. it's just like l- let's wait till till boss cal- calms down, then we can like sleep or eat or or do whatever. We have to wait wait till he's done. Yeah, he, he's almost more of a cult leader than a than a gang leader. He's he has this personality that people are are following and sort of in awe of. I just read I mean, yeah, the, the way you treat him. Yeah, I read more as just fear instead of awe, because like this guy's unhinged, and he has the, uh, and like, and I'm not sure if like if they knew about his past, the rest of the gang, but but there's at least a sense of like, well, he's gonna snap at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're willing to risk their lives that way. I mean, when it comes down to it, he has no loyalty to any of these people. At the very end, when one of his own men arranges for he arranges for him to be at a certain spot so that he can frame him for something after he's dead. Yeah, he's willing to kill his own men to sort of use that murder as bait to get them to catch uh, Monco and Mortimer, a a true sociopath. So. Who's the last person he ends up with where he literally doesn't have a weapon, the other guy hands him a gun because they know they're going to take on Clint and Lee at the same time. Like, I don't remember that character standing out in any particular way other than being the last guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't do much until he sort of shows up at the end. I think watching it subsequently, it's you're able to spot him, but it's not like he distinguishes himself in in any other way. Hmm. But I, I think that's part of why these movies work um, as opposed to sort of like modern day Westerns a lot of the time make the mistake of trying to make every character super cool. Whereas in this one, no, there's two cool characters. You know, there's Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood, and then oh, and, and, I'm gonna say Klaus Kinski and uh, Sean Marie. <laughs> well, well, no, they're 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 the dirtbags you hate, and then everybody else are just sort of like anonymous dirtbags. Whereas I think a, a yeah, lot of people who who are sort of imitating the this style of westerns think, well, everybody has to be cool in, in in this movie, and that gets, in my opinion, really annoying and desperate. It's like uh, getting to like the the style of for a few dollars more. Mm-hmm. It's just so effortless. Yeah, the way it's presented, like watching it, like it's the way like I always talk about Ozu. Like you watch an Ozu movie, and you go like, anyone can do this, and then you think about it, it's like, no, everything is very meticulous, and like thought out and planned out, and just the same thing is like, all you have to do is just like zoom in on faces and and cut to different faces or whatever. It's like, and you think about, it's like, no, this is, like, there's a method to this. Like, this isn't just, it just feels so, it makes it look easy, but the thinking about the mechanics of everything is like, no, this isn't easy. This is, like, very precise in what's what's going on. And and I think a lot of that does have to do with Morricone's score. Like, it's so goddamn good. Like, it's not only listenable, 
but especially with the like the tune of the music box like that tune is incorporated into the score and sometimes the the diegetic sound from the music box sort of fades in and then the score fades out and the score fades in and then when the music box's music ends the the score fades out like it's so elegant and subtle but also incredibly impactful and i think that contributes to the effortlessness that you're talking about like it it just you know pushes us or, or propels us through the narrative of the film and just heightens the style in a really organic way like if it was anyone 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 else it could easily just come off as like you're just stretching out time yeah. just for sake of stretching out time but like every, like kind of like veers into like that anime thing of like this stretching out every little second for for, for drama or for comedy. And like when it's done right, you just don't care. And when it's, and when it's not working for you, it's it's excruciating to sit through. Like Dragon Ball Z. Exactly. Okay. Another thing that like definitely differentiates this thing uh, you were asking me before what I like about it is like the I mean just to say cinematography like whatever that's of course it's got amazing cinematography like if you see shots of this movie it's in that gigantic widescreen or widescreen form yeah and usually some beautiful vista but it's not like that's a single shot in the movie I feel like every part of the desert whether it's the towns or the jail they escape from or just being out in the middle of nowhere and everything is made so that you are totally aware of how hot and how dirty and how gross it must feel except for nobody in the movie is worried about any of that stuff because what other choice do they have is you know not air conditioning doesn't even seem to be a safe house you can stay at and where they are yeah and i i like part of what i love about this is just the i know other ones did it but like just having using uh, spain as a standard for the u.s mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just this very strange like it doesn't look like a doesn't look like uh the the u.s it it looks like this it, like you're saying it's the u.s but it clearly isn't and it just creates that strange feel yeah and, and you know um, spaghetti westerns would do this a lot where they would sort of blur the boundary between Mexico and the United States and you know, th- that goes back to Veracruz actually but th- there's you know all these towns are full of both Americans and and Mexicans and there's definitely a presentation of, of both cultures living side by side so a lot of these towns you know, could take place in either country, but also like spaghetti westerns are so much, like not in the America we know anyway. You know, it it's some other place from like our imagination because you know they it, this movie is supposed to be taking place in the eighteen seventies, but they rob a bank and steal Confederate money. Like what, what is happening in in, in this? It's like some post apocalyptic western hellscape, uh, and it's a, a fun time. No, nobody told them that the war yeah. was over. It hasn't reached that part yeah. of town yet. 
as usual, Texas is decades behind <laughs> the rest of the country. Yeah, um, that that has me wonder. Like, uh, what happened to the, to the Confederate money after the Civil War? Was it destroyed or like it, it lost value? But it probably was still. Imagine some corners of the U.S. is still being used. Maybe it's kindling. I don't know. I bet. I bet. Yeah, dur- I bet. I'm willing to bet during Reconstruction, all that shit was destroyed. And mm. then once Reconstruction en- ended, and racism became institutionalized, um, it was probably all gone by then. Mm. Yeah, possibly. Even also, if it wasn't gone, it was worthless unless it was somebody collecting it or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but also, um, uh, you can chalk it up in, in, in Italian movies up to like probably lack of research, and they're like, it's a western, you know, it, cowboys and stuff. Yeah, the, the, the Americans will know. Will uh, Americans will understand it? Yeah, there are some westerns that are really. Um, persnickety about the detail, like, all right, well, we have to use this this rifle because, you know, the the, the model we had it we have on hand wasn't made uh, by the this date, so we have to go and find you know a correct model of handgun or whatever. But uh, Italian westerns d- truly do not give a shit. Like I think we saw in in you know Django this like magical Gatling gun that you could just like carry around and swing everywhere. But it's cool. Yeah, it has to have a coffin yeah. too. Not a, not a lot of people carrying around coffins anymore. But I, um, you know, like Django, I think in this movie we do have sort of have like superhero accoutrements, especially with uh, Mortimer with his array of guns, and Monco sort of has you know that leather strap on his hand, and that that does sort of dovetail into. A spaghetti western trope of having a physically disabled hero like so Monco means one handed and like Django or or other western protagonists they would eventually get like their hand or one hand destroyed or, or go mute or go blind um, and so this is a early foray into that trope of, of spaghetti heroes yeah, I was going to say The Great Silence, because isn't he mute in that one? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, he's, he's mute in that one, yeah. Yeah, so that would come uh, a couple years later. Yeah, I still need to watch that. Uh, it's on my list of it, 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 John Louis, so yeah. at some point I will. But also, I don't want to uh, I don't want to watch something depressing right now. <laughs> it's... I want to have more free time. It'll be easier. And and Klaus Kinski is is genuinely chilling in that one. Like scary. He was chilling in this one too, just just because of his face. <laughs> it wasn't doing anything. Yeah. And uh, a part of the part was up before, but friend of the show Megan Dooley, when she was I think in high school, maybe late middle school, uh, had seen some of his movies and went to a book signing because his uh, he his autobiography was out and she got to like meet him and talk to him briefly and according to her he was not a creep or grabby or anything he was nice to her 
This one time, yeah. Well, he's he's surrounded by people who are paying him money, I guess, and and yeah. <laughs> and are his fans and are being nice to him. He's yeah. not being an artiste then. Yeah. Uh. The, oh, um, uh, talking about going back to the Bronson thing from earlier. Uh, Lee Van Cleef was the second choice because there was um. Uh, wait, was that the? Yeah, it, as Bronson was her first choice for um, Mortimer. Yeah, yeah. Lee Van Cleef was sort of in in the wilderness as far as movie making goes by this time. Like he had made a couple of appearances in earlier westerns, but hadn't done anything for several years, and was sort of like bopping in and out of TV. And so this is a a comeback of sorts for him. And then he would do do a string of of westerns in Europe after this one. Yeah, he did. Uh, isn't there one where he's like a a guy who has like his gadgets? What is it called? I can't remember the name of it. But I think he did the series where he's like a western guy, and he has a, a sabata. That's what I'm thinking okay. of. Sabata. Yes, I guess sabata would be closer. How do I say it? Well, that's not. I just can't um, believe it. Lee yeah, Van Cleef. Like I've heard, those movies are overall really good, but uh, I haven't gotten to them yet. Yeah, neither have I. All right. There's so much. I've dra- seen all of them. No, I haven't. Oh, no. I don't know how they're draining. I- I'm a little rusty. It's been like I feel like a few weeks since we last recorded because we're kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. Uh, we're kind of almost done recording there's i think two more episodes to go to record and that's it and uh yes uh but yeah this so this kind of been a kind of a long gap yeah no worries well you were talking about filming in in spain earlier um this the sets were built in almeria spain by carlos simi and it's i think the sets do really add a sense of scope to, to the movie because you know in a lot of westerns it's clearly like one town but there are several towns in this movie that each have their own different sort of stylistic stylistic inspiration especially the the town uh, near the end you know where everything is made of like a, like white stucco it's mm-hmm. it just gives you the impression that these guys are traveling a long way and it's you know, this is this is a large scale um, landscape that that we're in, and I think so. Not only does the landscape it's, itself add scope and scale to the film, but but these huge uh, western sets uh, add, add that as well. And these sets would be reused by many Italian productions in, in the future. Yeah, that seems to be a, a main thing of uh, of westerns. It's just like, well, we have already have a set. We can just like make the minor changes, yeah. and that's enough. Or in case of um, uh, Boss Nigga, the um, uh, Fred Williamson movie, it's a set. It's the exact same set from another western from like a year before, but they changed nothing. They just left yeah. it as is because they didn't have the time or money to actually modify anything. It's why, like, a lot of Twilight Zone episodes are set in the Old West, because there was an unused Western set <laughs> on the stage next door that they didn't need to build anything for. 
Star Trek. Oh, too. yeah. The day of the, the, day of the gun. Um, like, oh, uh, they've got a Roman uh, world set up there? Uh, yeah, we could use that in Star Trek. Just write this episode. Uh, yeah, and, and like going back to the historical thing of like it's Americans and Mexicans, you don't see a lot of black people, even though mm-hmm. the lust had their first cowboys were black and Mexican. Although I, I haven't seen me modern westerns, but I haven't still haven't seen like a lot of like, uh, like dusty Texas town where it's like Mexicans, white people, and black people, because like there would have been black cowboys, yeah, around. Like that was just, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess especially filming in Spain and Italy, those productions weren't really concerned with. Uh, casting black people, unfortunately. Well, now that it was America. Yeah. I think The Searchers is the one I'm thinking of. I have to double check. There's one, I, th- I believe it's John Wayne Western, where he's playing a version of Bass Reeves. No, that's definitely not The Searchers, then. Is it? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I can't remember. Bass Reeves was a famous... Uh, uh, basically cop in the old west and stuff and he was black and he has uh he had a, a very high success rate of capturing and or killing uh the people he was after yeah. one of the most successful like law enforcement officers in the history of america <laughs> <laughs> yes and i have i i have complicated feelings towards <laughs> towards him uh, for, sure. for uh for a couple of reasons but uh, he had a, uh, yeah uh uh a cab i guess i don't know yeah A-cab. That, okay that's just, just checking just checking yep <laughs> but also like he was a black man at a time where it's like he actually had uh political power yeah but he also was a cop who was probably i don't know it's it's just like any other cop, yeah. I mean, you can you can certainly acknowledge the uh, the feat of you know being the first to do something without uh, glorifying what it was actually what was actually done. Like how uh, I'll think of a good example someday. Yeah, I mean the the way film ma- film majors and stuff like that. We'll we'll talk about Lenny Riefenstahl's. Contribution to filmmaking and things like that. It's like they're not saying what she was doing was a good thing. They're saying that she had historical significance and such. It's like yeah. yes, she's a woman filmmaker. Yes, she came. She did things that people really hadn't done before with cameras and things like that. Also, Nazi. Yeah, I mean Roberto Rossellini was a fascist i don't know how serious he was about uh being a fascist but he was you know buddy buddy with um mussolini's son he was casual fascist yeah they were pretty close friends apparently (laughs) and mussolini's son loved movies so that's the reason rossellini and fellini fellini rossellini and antonioni and other people made propaganda films and collaborated with the with the government 
uh, and Kurosawa. The, yeah, yeah, Kurosawa too. But I don't think Kurosawa uh, ever believed in that stuff. I think he just wanted to to survive. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's the guy who made No Regrets for Our Youth, which is you know, about uh, yeah, like kind of, yeah. <laughs> the, the struggle against fascism in Japan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then you have um, Ross Laney, who, yeah, if you look into it more, it's like I I can't tell if he actually believed in believed in it or not. Yeah, and it's also you, you know there's God you know ugh um it's it's so difficult like you know in retrospect to be like well you know this guy should have fought more against collaborators or or this guy sh- should have. Been, been more cognizant of the fascism in his country or whatever, but you, you, you I guess, I, I, I don't know. Not everybody, I, not everybody I can be like a, a Pasolini, you, you know what I mean? Yes. But, but at the same time, you, you know what happened yeah. to Pasolini. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you certainly want, want your, your artists to take a stand for morality. Um, but some, Wait, wait! What happened to Pasolini? <laughs> didn't he, didn't he live a, a good, a good yeah. long life that was happy? Yes, he again? did. Yeah, well, like <laughs> happily open, yeah, openly like gay. All gay leftists born before World War II, they lived a happy little <laughs> long life. Oh God. Um, but uh, th- all of this is sort of why a lot of these spaghettis were appealing to people in the 60s because all of the sort of icky a cab sort of feelings that you know john wayne westerns were really putting forth uh these movies have none of that um they're very much about people who live by their own moral code which is very appealing to to 60s audiences especially uh in in europe at the time um, and, and I think there was definitely a movement in Westerns in America towards that, like um, the stuff Monty Hellman was doing, but that really sort of exploded with um, the Spaghetti Westerns, especially because in, uh, in TV in America, that's really where I think the black hat, white hat, hat stuff became sort of solidified in the popular mindset because as far back as like silent mm-hmm. movies that there were films that were deconstructing Western tropes because they they already existed in like dime novels and stuff. But when you got to shows like Bonanza that ran for fucking ever, that's when the, that sort of like bifurcated morality became sort of ensconced in the American psyche. And so that's why we had to sort of break it again with these spaghetti westerns. What was the... I mean... This time period... High Noon came out in the 50s, yep. right? And that's that's yes. kind of one that's... Everyone back then was like, this is anti-American. What was the movie that John Wayne supposedly signed on for? Uh, because Rio of Bravo. It? Oh. Rio yeah. Bravo, okay. He and I think Howard Hawks also was like, a woman saves the day? This is some leftist bullshit. Yep. But again, you know, like, I love Rio Bravo. That movie fucking rules. Yeah, we're, we're covering next season, and you're going to be on it. Sure. And, uh, 
I the haven't movie? seen it. I, I I love the movie, but also uh, I vehemently disagree with the politics of yeah. the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that comes up all the time, like the more violent stuff. It's like, you know, I don't ro- watch Robocop because I think that's the way things should be handled. <laughs> <laughs> or do I? Yeah, I, I love when people think Robocop is pro-cop. It's like... <laughs> Can't, God. Do you, did you watch oh, our movie? <laughs> the cop is the good guy. Come on. The the yeah the you mean the Frankenstein's monster is the good guy. Exactly. <laughs> it's hard to see when it's directly in front of you. Yeah, I mean he, he's he's literally Jesus as yeah. a cop. You know he 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 died and was resurrected. Yeah, so th- or do you thinking need to know? RoboCop is pro-cop is like thinking the Gospels are pro-Roman. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they did kill yeah. Jesus, so. I mean, that's yeah, that's kind of that kind of put a put a nail in that relationship. Oh. <laughs> I'd say a couple nails in that. I wasn't thinking about that, but yes. No. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning the cinematographer for a few dollars more. Uh, Massimo Dalamano. Uh, he went on to direct a whole string of movies, including What Have You Done to Solange and What Have They Done to Your Daughters, being the two yeah. big famous ones he, he directed. Did and, he direct... What have you done with the credit card? <laughs> and a movie that the English title is Super Bitch, but the direct translation is Can anyone be more of a bastard than Inspector Cliff? <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. It's a, a Plesia. I was saying word wrong. Plesia Teshi? Plesia Teshi? Yeah. The cop movies. Yeah, Italian movies have the best titles. Because, like, uh, Kill and Pray, Any Gun Can Play, God Forgives, I Don't. This is awesome. <laughs> like, this is, a, this is a country that makes movies that can get me to see them just from the title. Yeah. Uh, like, one of my favorite movie titles ever is a Jalo that I think is just um, not worth anyone's time, but still has a Blu-ray for some fucking reason. But it's Iguana with the Tongue of Fire. That title is is yeah. amazing, but the movie just... Uh, it feels like they had a title, and then they're like, oh, we need a movie to justify his title, and it just, it, it's just... Yeah, yeah. Hey, if it, it worked for Val Luton, it should work for these Italian schlock makers, doesn't right? compete with uh, Death Laid an Egg. Yeah. Obviously, you get everything in the title. Do you? <laughs> yeah. There's eggs. There's death. What else do you need? Orange there, juice. Okay. I love oh, that yeah, movie. That's true. But all, I love that movie. Some but toast. Like, all, all the titles are bad because there's no good. There's no way to give that movie a good title. Yes, there is no way. It's like um, Deadly Sweet has a couple other titles where it's like n- none of this work. But uh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, um, 
Uh, uh, okay, Joel, I'm curious. So, uh, what Westerns do you like a lot? You put me in a hot spot here. Like, I, I've watched Tombstone a ton of times because that just, you know, it's got all those cool actors in it from that time period. And it's, I, it's nice to believe in a hero on occasion, although this, the hero in this movie that Kurt Russell is playing is like super fallible, which I appreciate. It's not just like the legend of Wire Earp, the best man that ever lived, right? Things happen like, it still feels like a cartoon version of the events of that. And especially if you read what the actual account of what happened, okay, you know, at the okay corral, it's kind of like, oh, that's what happened. Okay. But you cinema, I don't know. Yeah, that movie does a really good job of. I don't know. It tells a really good story. That's, that's what I get down to. Okay. Don't you like the weird? Uh, hmm? What's that movie called? You did it on your old podcast. Uh, with the those it's the eighties movies. Wait. Yes. Bon Jovi did a song in one of them. Oh, you're talking about um, yeah, but, Young Guns. Yeah, don't you like them? It's more entertaining than like. This is a good movie or anything. I don't, I haven't seen the second one in a long time, but I, I watched that a bunch of times because I think we had it on VHS. And the first one in the podcast, I was like, this isn't the movie I, because I thought the first one was the one I'd seen. There's not the one. But yeah, I mean, those are entertaining for, once again, the actors that you get in there, which is, the I think, the most famous out of the actors that are still doing stuff is Kiefer Southern. And in that movie, he really doesn't have chemistry compared, compared to Emilio Estevez, who is in my favorite movie of all time, Repo Man. But like, he doesn't, <laughs> I don't know. Emilio Estevez has never been like dripping charisma in my opinion. Well, he's fantastic in Repo Man and, and in Young Guns. Like He's a real... He's a real psychopath in Young Guns. Yeah. Yeah, that version of Billy the Kid. The Regulators. But um, if we're just talking about, um, you know, movies under 80 minutes and moral gray areas in the Old West, cannot recommend the Oxbow incident highly enough from 1942. That's a real masterpiece. Like, and, and real bleak. So, and I think movies like that really upend sort of the, the popular conception of, the, like, the timeline of Western tropes and things. So, yeah, highly recommend that one. Okay. I've, I've, I've heard yeah. that one for off and on for a while. William Wellman directed. That's the guy who... I gotta double check. I think he directed a, a couple, at least one, um... Uh, uh, Audrey Hepburn movie. Uh, I think you're thinking of Wyler. Oh, there we go. Yeah. All those... You would not be the first person it's, to it's, confuse those two. Yeah. You're going to say all those white people names sound the same? No. <laughs> no, all those, like, old Hollywood names have a samey feel, and it's like, uh, I, I think yeah. I recognize that name, but I'm not 100%. Well, that's because they they often feels... made you change your name to make it <laughs> more familiar sounding. <laughs> exactly. 
I was going to say, like, it's, they, they're way too, um, how, what, what's the term for when words sound really good together? Like, like William Wyler, like it just go to the rolls off the tongue. Anyway, yeah. like, that's, that's, uh, that's a really good sign that we're dealing with somebody who had to change their name. I feel like. Yeah. Or like Judy Garland. Her real name is Francis Gum. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Francis Gum. Ooh, no, I keep thanks. forgetting what it is, but I, Cary Grant had a real goof of a name. Oh yes. Oh, Arch, Archibald yes. Leach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Archibald. Starry. What? No, I'm not going to say that. That's his real name. Okay. Okay. Archibald is, Leach. Oh, there it is. Um, Jerome Silberman. You know him as Gene Wilder. Ooh. <laughs> that was a good choice too. Also, I think by that point, Hollywood was still a little, like, that, that Jewish name's a little too yeah. ethnic. Oh, you know what? Um, That's, um, this, well, Mel, this is not... I mean, Mel Brooks' real name is Mel Kaminsky. Kaminsky? It's something like that. It's like a real, like, Eastern European name. Play this game all night. Uh, yep. Okay, so other Westerns I've liked, you know, I... I like um, basically not not that many. I guess, when you say westerns, the ones that came to mind were Once Upon a Time in the West, which is excellent in my opinion. It is long, but it's got all the good Sergio Leone stuff. Like I really love the intro to that movie with just the men waiting for the train to show up. And I, I already said Tombstone. Another one that comes up is that movie by that guy who's probably a fascist that had Kurt Russell Bone Tomahawk. and Bone Tomahawk. Thank you very much. Yes. Like that just left such an intense impression on me and not, not because it's super violent, you know, whatever it's horror movies. What can I say it? But they're, I don't know. There's some weird earnestness and like the way he scripted it that that really appealed to me, and then the next movie happened. Um, yeah, I find the Native American stuff in Bone Tomahawk strange. Well, it's, it's definitely it's still, offensive. It still steeps in the like, oh, we have to kill these these savages, but you also yeah. see like civilized Native Americans in the town. So it feels like this comment of like I'm not I'm not racist. See, I have I, I have other ones in the movie too. That's what yeah. it felt like to me. It's it just Basically. rubbed me rubbed me the wrong yeah, way. The, I, I think the movie does try and be like these aren't Native Americans or like some weird mutants or something, but it still feels weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um. No, I, I really, I'm sure there are other ones, but I just don't, I don't purposely watch Westerns. They don't usually feel like the, uh, they're uh, appeal to me. And I don't know why, because the ones I have seen for the most part, I've like, I really like High Noon. You know, I brought that up earlier. That, that was one of the movies I saw in my short stint in uh, college movie classes. Uh, or is it movie college classes? 
college know, movie I... classes. Well, if I, I did college movie classes, I'd have to watch like Dead Man on Campus <laughs> and uh, the uh, one where Bigfoot goes to college. Back, back to school. I've never. I've never. <laughs> or is it the Hunchback? Isn't there one where the Hunchback goes to college? Probably. So, <laughs> Western's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Well, my favorite westerns were covering next season. So Johnny Guitar, which fully lived lived up to the hype, and um, a Rio Bravo, and possibly High Noon. But uh, I don't know if I. I also like the Searchers. Yeah, cause I think Sir, because like also going off the list of what Amodovar, uh said he's mm-hmm. liked in the past, mm-hmm. and apparently he likes the Searchers. So that might be one. Yeah. Like, my, I don't know. I have a hard time with it. A lot of the comedy in that movie is bad and cruel. Um, and there's a few things that kill movies' momentum than the string of bad jokes at the expense of, like, a racial minority. Um, but I, I love uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I think that's my favorite Ford. Mm-hmm. And and part of it's because of, like, you, you know, it's, it's all about how... Like, John Wayne is the badass gunfighter, and, and Jimmy Stewart is a sort of, like, in intellectual, kind-hearted, you know, um, physically unintimidating man. But, like, in real life, uh, Jimmy Stewart, like, went to war and flew missions over Europe as a, as a bomber <laughs> pilot, and John Wayne bent over backwards to not go to war. Uh, so... I really love that background uh, and, and knowing that John Ford never let John Wayne fucking forget it. Um, and so there's all this meta stuff that goes into that movie, but I also love the two performances of, of the leads and it, how it's it's able to be very dark, um, but but also very human at the same time. So that, that's probably my favorite John Ford Western. I don't know what Al Maldivar feels about it, though. Um, I just found a list of movies he likes or other stuff to cut, fill the mm-hmm. schedule for next season. Uh, yeah, but uh, oh, and uh, oh, uh, Boss Nigga, the um, Fred Williamson Western. It's very much like, like a '50s style Western, but made in the '70s with like a, a black cast, and it's like it's a, it's doing nothing new. If you if you see westerns, like you know what's yep. going to happen. But it's, but it's also just a whole lot of fun, and it's a movie where it's like Tarantino has never talked about this, but if you've seen Django, you've, you've it feels like Django is inspired by this. Like there's no getting around it. It feels very very obvious. Cause it, but, uh, it's yeah, more inspired probably than it is by the actual movie Django. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that slave movie that I really don't care for. Oh, uh, Mandingo. Yeah. Mandingo. Yeah. And the, I, I, I take everything back. I said my favorite Western is Three Amigos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. In case anyone's wondering, there's a reason we never covered Mandingo in the Spike Lee season. I just don't like that movie <laughs> i believe you said that not not during an episode but i believe you told me that yeah the sequel uh has a great cast but is even worse and but to tell you knockoff mandinga 
is kind of just as offensive, but I kind of like it because they add magic and a bunch of stupid Italian <laughs> shit, where it's like, it, it's 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 just as as troublesome, but but it's kind of easier to watch because it's like Italian and like has that stupid excessive like Italian quality to it. It's weird. Oh, but speaking of three amigos. See? The ending of for a few dollars more, um, I I oh, do yeah. love it. it. It is the three of them, but Clint Eastwood lets Mortimer sort of, you know, take on the revenge mission of of killing Indio. Yep. That he's he gives him this gift of friendship by letting him murder this this guy who's been the focus of his rage for years. And then you know at the end, Clint Eastwood says, "How about a partnership?" You know, another sort of like quasi romantic question mark moments b- between these two yeah. and and Mortimer says maybe another time while some, like a huge grin on his face so I don't know these two guys are buds I like watching them together it's true yeah yeah and like I, I didn't bring up yet but I love some of the surreal touches of things like Indio is basically a shallow mm-hmm. bad guy with the flashback and uh, this, like the way he acts, feels very much like, uh, uh, it, well, Shalo was all right thing, but like it feels like a post, um, Argento Shalo bad guy, not a sixties Shalo bad guy. <clears throat> and uh, there's like some weird touches, like there's a part where there someone's talking about Indio, and you, and in his uh, wanted poster is in the scene and they there's a cut to the poster and it and they have audio him laughing yep. and like and just like touches like that throughout where it's like this is like this is a so much fun because like there's clearly like playing around with the format of like of like a because fistful is more straightforward and this is like what a fistful but it's more fun yeah, there's kind just of. like like five degrees of non-reality in this movie. That that yeah, it exactly makes it more fun. All right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this movie is available everywhere, and uh, yeah, uh, I'll I'll get to the other Leones at some point. Uh, it's not know. that many, like you said. Yeah, I would yeah. be interested in uh, is. is uh, your opinions on Ducky Sucker because that's definitely his most political movie, and that comes at the end of a string of other directors like diving headfirst into like leftist cinema, and Leone thinking these guys are like a bunch of like performative fakers, and so Ducky Sucker is sort mm. of a response to that. Like, like revolution is pointless. And it's just as cynical as fascism, and so it, it's politically very bleak, but but also mm. it, it's I think it's of his major films. I think it's like very flawed in a lot of ways, but it's also really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I always hear people think is the worst. A fistful yeah. of dynamite. Yeah, I wouldn't say. It. Come on, it's got it's got a scene with. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's it's a scene. <laughs> I mean, like, if oh, I um, were to, oh, like, oh, yeah. there's there's three people. Saying <laughs> the worst Leone, you know, that's. 
it's it's different from saying the the yeah, word yeah. Spike Lee. There there's a a, a different. Uh, yeah. Um, you guys talking about she hate me? What's going on? Oh uh, no! Red Hook Summer is the worst Spike Lee. We we all know this. I remember. Yeah, I liked that movie until the thing happened. But yeah. Yeah. Until they introduced pedophilia, <laughs> and it's like, it's like we're almost over, and this character's a pedophile. This is kind of too late, Spike. Why, why are you doing this? What a weird guy. I mean, he does that. <laughs> he does that a lot. And she hates me too. Where it's like, oh, we're hearing about. Okay, his father's troubles. Oh, we're never going to touch on that again. Okay, never mind. Um, uh, more, more, more lesbians. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, I guess. That's that's the way lesbianism works. Yeah. Um. What was I gonna say? I can't remember. Uh. Uh. Yeah. So yeah. So this is. It's not gonna go away anytime soon. Uh. And I'm sure there's a Blu-ray or 4K or something. Cause like, you know, these movies are eternal. They're classics yep. for a reason. It, it's not homework. It's not like, I don't know, like, like the like the only homework this season has been Godard. And pretty much is just like yeah yeah I get it I know I just I I want my I want dessert now I have my vegetables. Yeah, for a few dollars more is definitely the dessert after a, an arugula salad of Godard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's yeah. the cigarette after you just destroyed every window in your house. What the hell am I talking about? I gotta go. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I remember um, uh, going back to um, briefly for Bone Tomahawk, uh, Bone Tomahawk. There is a brief appearance by one of my favorite actors, Jimmy in Stewart, the, in the beginning. I haven't seen it in such a long time. I don't know uh, what you're talking uh, about. Uh, Sid Haig has a brief oh. part in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I think he's killed in the opening. Oh, okay. But yeah, that that's that's why I watched it because like I saw like Osid Haig. Well, that's the most that that's number one on my two watch list now. If he's naturally, involved. yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, nineteen. So yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, we're done talk about the movie. I think yeah. all of us like it quite a bit. And yeah, and uh, it's nineteen sixty-five. It's a big year. I have five picks that I have to pare down. And uh, I left out one obvious one because I know Joel, you'll probably pick that one that we both really, really love. But uh, yeah, John, you can go first. Um, I'll I'll throw out a, a couple. Um, just because I recently watched it for the first time, uh, Simon of the Desert by Luis Buñuel. Uh, really dug a forty-five minute surrealist film about a desert ascetic. Uh, and really uh, satirical and and a lot of fun. Not many fun movies about desert aesthetics. It's one of the funniest like Christian movies yeah. you'll ever see. Yeah. And <laughs> I love the part when um the the when the dad uh, guy was I think it's missing hands or something and like uh, Simon gives him his hands back and is and the kid asks, "Are those your real hands?" Or uh, fake hands, and then he has slapped yeah. his kid. <laughs> yeah. He's doing dress. Yeah, he, he turns into a total asshole. <laughs> um, 
And then just because I watched uh, very recently Hourglass Sanitarium for the first time, uh, director Wojciech Haas's other famous movie, The Saragossa Manuscript, uh, one of the big Polish films, um, are already trumpeted by people like Martin Scorsese, uh, so you don't need my perspective on it. Just, you know, look up what they, they had to say about it. It's great. So th those are my recommendations for 1965. Right. Put right. that on the DVD box. It's great. Uh, J-Dog, you? Oh, do I? Well, you usually go before me, but... I forgot you the one time when we went for like two and a half hours. I still... No, you guys bad. just got into a discussion. It wasn't that big a deal. I know. Okay, so I don't, I'm not sure which one you were going to say. Except for the one that we actually just did this whole this season, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have to double, we have to double, triple, quadruple down on the Agnes Varda movie, La Barre, not La Barre. How do you say it? I don't it's know. It's closer to the second way you said it. Okay, <laughs> And what is this called in English? Uh, happiness. Happiness, that's not right. To, not confused with the 90s one. This is a totally different movie. Not to be confused with Spencer's sixth favorite movie? No, I don't know. No. I know for a fact you're, the baby is somewhere above that by quite a bit. Yes. Okay. Um, anyway, it's... As a, as a half-white straight male... This movie was made by a chick. No, wait, uh, that's what I'm trying to say is this movie is a story about a man who is living, he's living his best life. <laughs> it sounds funny to say it that way, but that, that, that's actually what's going on. But because this is Agnes Varda, who is always presents like a strong idea in her movies. And so we're seeing everything shot and thought through by women, basically. And it makes the movie so fascinating. Like, just, I don't know how to explain why it's fascinating. It's a movie only a woman could make. I mean, that's what I want to say, but I'm a, I'm a dude. I can't say that. It's, I mean, but it is. Like if you've seen the movie, you know why, why, why I would say that. Yeah, but then you know how women and man, woman, man—that that's not necessarily a meaningful term anymore. So I know a, a straight dude couldn't make this movie. Ah, finally, that's what I'm hearing. Assign gender at birth. <laughs> no, I, I think there's definitely something to be said for the authorial voice and how that affects. The, the viewing of the art and the, the perspective of the person. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's also yeah. 80 yeah. minutes long, so it's uh, it's nice and quick. And it feels like um, Wes Anderson aesthetically is a fan of it, but not content-wise. I don't know. His, his content kind of goes that way sometimes. Eh, sometimes, but he's not afraid. He's not afraid to go in dark directions. That is and true. Not to say this movie goes in dark directions. No, no, no. It's a. It, it's happy. It's a, it's a very happy movie. Yeah. 
And I guess uh, I, I've recommended both of these movies before, so I'm just going to say Planet of the Vampires. Speaking of Italian movies, this is a Mario Bava movie. He's Italian, right? A little bit. Yeah. Oh, Grumpire has a shirt that is uh, a variation of um, Planet of the Vampires. Oh, I cool. Believe. The, the poster? Yes, the poster. Yeah. It's what anyway, you can go on and find Andrew's um t shirt stuff on all the all the t shirt sites and find it. Mm. So uh yeah, buy, buy Andrew's shirts. I have a couple. So it's called Play of the Vampires in English and the Italian name is Terrore Nello Spazio. Which makes me think it's terror in space, but I don't know what Nello is. Uh, because there is no, there's no damn vampires in this movie. Don't, don't get excited. Huh? Huh? Were you already excited? I apologize. I should explain that we got into a conversation. What I'm saying, uh, it feels like a 1950s black and white, you know, colorized at a later point kind of movie. And the, the costuming is so so good like interesting all throughout the movie and the same thing with the set design like just imagining these people having to like hand create every part of any part of the set and it's all there's it must have been all shot in some warehouse or something like that it's definitely not a you know filming illegally in spain or whatever kind of thing Uh, it just tells us very solid and very goofy at times story of a people on a different planet suddenly getting infected with something say that I I really recommend it and that's another one under an hour and a half by two minutes yeah I I would say if you've seen uh... Barbarella or Diabolique and like either of those definitely check out Planet of the Vampires it's a good colorful 1960s time Yeah, it's similar to uh, Goke Body Snatcher mm. from Hell, the uh, Japanese horror film from a couple years later. It's in the box set, Shojiku Horror, or Shojiku Does Horror, or something like that. I can't remember what the, the box set is called. It should be on Criterion Channel, but it, it these two movies are have a similar vibe to them. I don't know. I haven't seen any of those other movies. Not even Barbarella. No. Wait, that's not what you said. No. Yeah. Barbarella's <laughs> really good, but it's definitely you're on its vibe or you're or you're aggressively not on its vibe. But, and yeah. uh yeah, I guess the last thing I, I I have to put put this in because it's also one of my favorite movies. Bloody Pit of Horror came out that this year. And it's just once it, these are on. I just, I guess, I just love Italian movies from this year. Is it Massimo Papulo? Massimo Papulo. And it is a Italian shock horror kind of thing. And it, there's nothing shocking or horrifying in it, really. But it's just got such an amazingly dedicated performance from Mickey Hargitay, who is a famous bodybuilder from back then, father of Mariska Hargitay and 
well, at the time was, well, who's her mother again? Um, oh, Jane Mansfield. Yes, Jane's Man- Jane Mansfield and was Mickey Hargitays. When? 65. Huh? This movie came out? I have no idea. No. Okay. Should, should I call up Marishka? No. No. Uh, I, I'm on the crap site Letterboxd, and according to the average rating, The Nest of the Cuckoo Birds is a better movie than Bloody Pitiful. If you haven't seen The Nest of the Cuckoo Birds, I want you to watch it so you, you know how much it hurt to watch it. <laughs> and this is, since like, uh, anyways, that movie sucks. <laughs> Bloody pit of <clears throat> bloody pit of horror is fun. Okay. Uh, are you done? I guess so. Okay. First off, faster postcat kill kill. Um, Russ Meyer. I'm a I'm a Russ Meyer guy. This is his best movie. Oh, no, it's not his best movie. Uh, it's yeah, it's one of his best. Hits. It's in the running for one of his best movies. If if you, if you were to say it's yeah. his best movie, I would not disagree with you. It's uh, it's wonderful. It's everything. It's hard to come by because of <clears throat> legal uh, nonsense. Because there's a state and uh, it's a it's a mess. That's why his movies are kind of not easily available. But look for it. Find it. It's worth tracking down. It might be on YouTube. I won't be surprised if it is hidden on YouTube somewhere. I get uh, advertisements when I'm using Instagram that are like a box set of Russ Meyer movies. And I don't know how legit it is. Uh, I meant to tell you about that. Arrow did one like 15 years ago or something. Hmm. There's an old one that's like UK only. Oh, I wonder if that's it. That probably is it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one, Samurai Spy. It's a Shinoda movie. The plot is, um, uh, from my memory, really bad, but the action and other stuff make up for it. And it's a fun ninja samurai spy thriller. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's just. It, I don't think it's great, but it definitely is like this, uh, like a, a feast for the eyes. And um, what's it called? Three Outlaw Samurai came out. I think it's Three Outlaw Samurai. Or sort of the Beast. And this is a ghost. Yeah, sort of it's the sort beast. of the Beast. Yeah, yeah. That I'm thinking of. The yeah, ghost movie. It's probably my least favorite of the ghost movies, but that it's but it's still. Very good, because Gosha is the greatest. Uh, uh, what do, what do I know about him or him? We covered Heat Wave, yeah. uh, and Hunters. Not, no. Oh yes. What is it called? I don't. Has a has a long title. Has a yes. weird title. Shadow uh, Solution. I can't remember. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, I I'm a big Gosha guy. But uh, uh, night uh, no, sort of the beast is a good starter. Gosha, it kind of introduces his key ideas. I think he gets his heyday is the eighties, but his sixty stuff is still really good. 
and easily available. So, uh, yeah, watch watch Gosha. Uh, he should he should be a bigger name over here. And uh, just one book. Now wait for last year, which was published the year later, but it was written in '65 by Philip K. Dick. That is a great starter, Philip K. Dick. It introduces all the all the stuff that he's obsessed with. That I've read a lot of his books. A lot of his books kind of feel samey because there are certain things that he's put put in yep. everything he did. And uh, now for last year is just, I think, uh, one of the best ones because it's just so stri- fairly straightforward for him. And it's uh, just, yeah, that's how I, I, yeah, I read that one. If you haven't read anything from him or if you haven't read that one yet, get to it. But my favorite ones are like Vallis and um, uh, Three Stigmata, Palmer Eldridge. But uh, but those are like a little deeper cuts and harder to recommend. I, I found him personally. <laughs> Especially Valis, that one just—that's a weird one that kind of doesn't work, but it's interesting. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the now for last year, it's really good. It's fairly short because a lot of his books are fairly short. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. Uh, Arminio, thank you for coming on again. Thank you, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, last time you you got to like a ten minute d- thing about why Star Trek. Deep Space Nine isn't as good as Maybe other it was Star like Trek. Two minutes, but do do do, do you want me oh, to get into it, it again? <laughs> okay, okay. No, felt, felt like a goddamn year to me. <laughs> no, but you talked about Star Trek with yeah. Martin yeah, Kessler yeah. on a thing. Oh, was that the one I hosted? I don't know. Uh, a, a, a podcast. Do you have any um, podcast? Yeah, stuff so, up? Uh, yeah, Scott Thurow and I are still working on our popcorn eschaton project where we talk about spirituality in movies. So that should be premiering pretty soon. Um, but, you know, keep, keep a lookout for my dumb opinions on the podcast waves. They'll be a coming. <laughs> Can't yeah, stop them. Can't stop, stop, stop. stop. <laughs> and uh, uh, are you gonna be? You just had movies from yes, hell. Yes, yeah, Cat yeah. People. Cat People is my most recent movies from hell, and um, uh, the Valoon original, and then Curse of the Cat People, the uh, forty-four se- sequel. Oh, that was sequel? a lot of fun. And okay. um, so Scott, uh, um, Dan Bradley, and then Heather Drain, uh, as I said earlier, are working on a. 1932 in horror episode don't know when that's actually going to happen because you know we're i think we're at like 20 movies at this point that we might be talking about so who knows it'll be fun though and you'll spend 20 minutes out of the two hours talking about the movies all sorts of well i don't know there's all sorts of sickness and perversion in these movies that we might actually stay on task all 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 that stuff is just going to keep us occupied uh, I'll believe it when I hear it. <laughs> I've been on enough times to know. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, of w- w- where did you talk about Star Trek? Um, uh, oh, I, I talked know. with Martin Kessler about Star Trek on Film Eighty Nine. Uh, we talked about uh, the Strange New World series. That was that was a, a good time. Yeah. That show was great. All Trek people should watch right. it. All right. Uh, I'm not a Trek person besides the animated series. Oh, so, really? Uh, in, in, interesting. I've yeah, only what the hell is wrong it? with you? I've only seen animated series until I've seen parts of T- TNG and Deep Space, but I've never really paid full attention to it. Like I, I do really like the animated series, but I don't know if I've ever met somebody whose only exposure to Star Trek was the animated series. I had free tickets to go see Into Darkness, wherever it was called, for free uh, at the local at the Dover Air Base because my mom had a. Uh, kind of higher up ish job not not high not higher up job but she had a like a an, a fancy job on base and so she got uh, access to free tickets and asked me and i was and it was like a week before it premiere or two weeks or something and i said no that sounds boring well you <laughs> so you that's made the I right decision about Star Trek. that's uh that's the worst of the three jj abrams movies even for free women uh, um, bad if you have no affinity for Star Trek then yes okay yeah. so I made the right choice I, I do really like the first J.J. Uh, Abrams movies that, that's a cool space adventure movie but it, it feels more like a like a Flash Gordon sequel or something I saw that in high school, but I couldn't tell you what happened in exactly. it. Exactly. I don't remember. It moves through your system like cotton candy. Yeah. But, uh, oh, what do I have? Uh, me and uh, Joel, you and I were on Mustachioed Podcastio talking about War from 2019. Yes. Uh, Indian movie about two men who uh, <laughs> clearly want to fuck each other, but they never do. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good watch. You 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 kind of have to pay attention, which is funny because <laughs> it the movie is like all everything about the movie is super shiny and eye attracting, so it's kind of difficult sometimes to focus on the subtitles when you want to see what else is going on. But it like that when it comes to the movies I have seen of that length, it is as good as the extended edition of Lord of the Rings Return of the King. I mean, except better because <laughs> you get singing and dancing. Yeah, but... And some hot muscle men. There's no giant eagles. Giant muscles. But is there a Samwise Gamgee for us to dream about? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one love interest that's a woman who clearly who has nothing to do because the two men are so into each other. Yeah, it's she's kind of. Yeah, she's not. She's there to to be mm-hmm. hot and yep, and that's it really. <laughs> she doesn't there. even do as much dancing as they do. <laughs> no, maybe she does. I don't know. Uh, not really. She barely has. She was barely relevant to the plot. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I have a I did movies from hell on during the summer of Sean Roland with that 
I don't know when it's coming out, but it's been recorded. And the... I don't know. I'm supposed to do a cult movie podcast on... What's that movie called? The one black movie in those books. The Jamaican... The Harder They Come. Because I've picked the one black movie in Danny Peary books. And, uh, yeah, so the, the I'm recording that one in the vague future. There's no, like, like, uh, like, Buck and the Preacher oh. or, like, black exploitation movies in the, in those books? I went through the list when I talked to Anthony about it, and I found one black movie. What, what book is this? Cult movies. Uh-oh. Don't know about it. Yeah, uh, they're from the eighties or something. Yeah, like very foundational in the uh, sort of study of cult cinema. Um, but yeah, it seems a pretty big oversight to not have one black exploitation movie in a in a book about cult movies. That seems insane to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you want to think, you know. A Pam yeah. Greer would appear, but one no. of the ultimate cult movie icons. Not even fucking Blackula. Yeah, but Dan Perry either never saw it or doesn't Very didn't weird. like it. Although he it's didn't like, like other movies he reviewed, so I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, so I'll I'll be on that show in the future at some point. I don't know when we're gonna get to that. Uh, and oh, my grind bin on Cyberjack. Uh, is out. Cyberjack is Michael Dudikoff uh, at in a Die Hard slash Blade Runner slash RoboCop ripoff, and uh, it's fine. But I kind of love it because it's mediocre, uh, like '90s action garbage. But I I I love that shit, so it works for me. '90s. Oh yeah, it's mid '90s. It's kind of late for a grind bin. Yeah. But, uh, movie is on Tubi if you want to watch it, but I'm sure most people don't like it because <laughs> it's 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 not a good movie. <laughs> oh. oh, and Brian Watching. James is in it okay. as a villain. Uh, yeah, Brian James is cool. He's having fun. Was rest in peace. Yeah, he's having fun in it. <laughs> no one else is. <laughs> All right. Um, Armenia, what? Oh, oh, Joel, do you have a thing you got? You're, you're doing? No. <laughs> well, Joel, you should go on movies from hell if you want to have a fun time. Uh, I will. Uh, do I but, sign me up? Just talk to Bradley. He, I'm sure he, he'll give you options, or you can pitch something to him. All right, who's Bradley? They're like. I- <laughs> I know I'm you joking. only spend 25% of the time talking about the movie on that podcast, but there have been several times where I've laughed so hard I've cried doing that show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's unhinged yeah. nonsense the whole time, and then it's it's fun. So should I go and dry? Because I've never listened to an episode, but no, no offense. Listen to... Razorback episode for like the worst <laughs> that can happen. Okay. Uh, yeah, and listen to I don't know any other any other any other one for the best that can happen. Okay. Not you're not recommending your own. No. 
other people have better episodes than, than I had. All right. All right. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, uh, I have blogs and shit, I guess, but who? It, it doesn't matter. I haven't updated in a long time, and yeah. So, next episode after this, I think, is Jules and Jim. And then uh, the title movie, and then the last episode. So, John, this is the last time you'll be well, on the you show. Well, you got some uh, good ones coming up, so you've um, you've okay. overworn um, your I'm, welcome. I'm banned from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Until next season starts it. up. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you're on Twitter and shit. Yeah, John, Quasar on Sniffer Twitter, on Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. Find me before Twitter collapses under the weight of <laughs> some egotistical billionaire asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, J Dog, you, you play stream games or something, right? Uh, yeah, every once in a while you can find me playing games under the name JDT Games underscore KCD. K as in kite, C. As in cheeseburger, and what was the other part? D. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think the most interesting thing I did recently is that I was trying to do play Genshin Impact again because that's what I mostly play right now. But the servers were down, so I decided to play um, Dark Souls Two for a bit because I've played a ton of it on. PS4 and 3 but, well, was it on 3? I think it was on 3 but I had never played it on PC so I was playing it on my PC and just going through the rounds and stuff like that and I I think I almost kind of made a bit of a walkthrough on accident I was just going, saying what I was doing and what I remembered to do but it works out pretty well so I might keep doing that because that's fun but don't 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 expect great things from dark souls 2 because i never beat the game even though i got super 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 far in it <laughs> all right well you can find him streaming things at uh, random times i guess yeah if you follow me on twitter at jdt games for the time being whenever i go live i just it automatically shoots out a message uh, Which is unfortunate because sometimes I go live three times in a row because something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, yeah. See you guys for uh, the last last few episodes. Oh, yeah. The, the show can be found on Twitter at Piano Player Pod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art, sarahkathleenroberts.com. And thank you for listening.